Welcome to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, be sure to visit us at cbctaylorville.com. Listen now as Pastor Chad delivers this week's message. What a good day to be here. Did you guys notice that it was actually summer when you got up this morning and came outside? Praise the Lord. We just skip winter altogether. It's awesome. Yeah. I got some bad news for you, though. In a couple weeks, it'll be back. But just enjoy each day as it comes. Amen? Hey, so welcome to Calvary today. Whether you have been here for your whole life or you've just come in today for the very first time, my name's Chad. I'm the lead pastor here, and it's such a great treat for us to be in the same room and just to see what God has. We firmly believe that the Word of God is, is to be the leading guide and the Spirit of God is the leading guide for everything that we say and do. So we will actually get into the Word of God pretty deeply today. If you are just coming in for the first time, you're actually coming in on a series that we've been in the whole month of October so far called Kingdom People. And one of the ways that uh, I've been impacted by this is through my study, as through this quote that you'll see on the screen from an ancient book, any, anyone who you have been inspired by, any Christian author or anyone through history that you've been inspired by, they've been impacted by this book, Augustine's book, City of God. Now, this is not a, a light book. This is about a 12 or 1300 page book. Somebody say, oh my. So you guys are readers then. You guys talk and I don't know. But so it's a really, really thick book, but it, this book has impacted generations upon generations of people that was written in the 400s, 426 AD is how old this book is. But in my study, I I came across this quote that impacted me and I believe sets a stage for where we're going to be today. And this is what Augustine wrote. He said, the peace of all things is the tranquility of order. Tranquility is is a word that we don't use very often, but it means calmness or being calm. He's saying that the peace of all things is the tranquility of order, is the calmness of order. And I want you to know the only way that your life can have order is if it lives as it's loved by God. That is the the way that we're going to have peace in the world. This is the way that we're going to have peace within ourselves, the way that we're going to have peace in our relationships. doesn't matter if you're a teenager or, or if you're much older than I am. It doesn't really matter where we are in the span of things. If you're taking air right now, this pertains to you, that the peace of all things is the tranquility of order and to live a life that is well-ordered under the love of God. So for us to be kingdom people and to embrace what it means, the identity that it means, or what it means that we have an identity as a kingdom person, it's rooted in the profound love of God. A great way to, to illustrate this actually came up came to me by Sherry. I was talking to Sherry at the end of last week's message, and she told me a story about her dog, Charlie. Sherry lives by herself, and, and she has this little dog, Charlie, that, that is her companion around her house. And so she loves Charlie, and one day she opened the door, and then Charlie did what dogs do. The dog did what? Ran out the door. So Charlie ran out the door, and then Sherry's frantic because, again, this is her, her companion within her home. So Sherry didn't know what to do. Am I getting the story right so far, Sherry? All right, I'm good. And so 
so the dog runs outside the door and she doesn't know what to do, but then something clicks. Charlie responds to ice cream. All God's people said amen to that. <laughs> Charlie responds to ice cream. So what she did was she hustled in the house and she got some ice cream and she started calling for Charlie. Ice cream, ice cream, and guess what happened? Charlie bolted for the door and bolted for ice cream. I got it right, didn't I? All right. You see, that's not just a story about a dog and ice cream. That's really our story. Because many of us, just as I talked about last week of the, of the story that Jesus shared about the 99 and the 1, that Jesus loves all 100, and yet there are 99 where Jesus has his eye on them, and he knows exactly where they are because they're close to him. And then there's that one that strayed. Remember that? And Jesus loves all 100, and he even loves the one that strayed. Jesus understands why the one strayed, and Jesus understands us too. We all can be like Charlie, and we can just, we know that there's comfort in, in the house of God. We can know that there's comfort and love with God, and yet somehow the opportunity opens, the door opens, we can be like Charlie, and we can bolt away from the very thing that brings us life. God doesn't bring us back with ice cream. He brings us back with his love. He brings us back with his love. He brings us back reminding who we were and who we are because of him. There's a scripture that we're going to be sharing more in context in a moment, but I'm just taking the last verse that I'm going to share in totality a little bit later. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, God made him, meaning God the Father made Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us. This is the root of the love of God. A love of God that's not stale, that's not absent, but a, a love of God that is fulfilling and satisfying. So that in Him, that in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. The love of God is so profound. I don't know if you know Jesus, but, but Jesus knows you and He loves you. And even if, if there was a time in your life where you strayed away from God and you just abandoned God altogether and the church altogether, and maybe you're at home right now and you're abandoning the flock, I want you to know God knows you and God loves you, but he wants you to come back to him. And he woos you and he draws you with not something that's superficial, but something that is supernatural, and that is love. That is God's love. The love that is so compelling that it, that it keeps us close to him keeps us wanting more and having a deeper relationship with him and gives us the identity of being a kingdom person. A well-ordered home is like a well-ordered soul. It's rooted in the love of God. Brennan Manning, great author, I disagree with a lot of his theology, but a great author of some, uh, of some books, he said this, Define yourself radically as one beloved by God. He says, define yourself in that way. No matter what's going on, no matter what you feel, no matter what you think, no matter what you may see in the world, no matter of the rumors that swirl, he says, and he himself had a lot of things going on within him, he says, define yourself radically as one beloved by God. He says, and I'll continue, this is your true self. Every other identity is illusion, he says. It's illusion. It's not reality. It's not true. It's smoke and mirrors. But he says, if you define yourself as one beloved by God, I'm going to take it a step further than what he did, then your heart will not be inclined to stray. If we would receive this identity, what does this mean? This means that when God looks at us, 
that He doesn't look at us in disgust or disappointment. He doesn't look at us with frustration or uncontrolled anger. Those are things of the world. Instead, He looks at us through the lens of love. Through the lens of love. Knowing that, sure, we may stray, we may, we may wonder, but He loves us, and He loves us enough to woo us, to draw us back. A life that is well-ordered is one defined by love. There's four different things. All of these are in your connection card, on your connection card, your info card, the thing that you take notes on if you're a note taker, whatever that thing's called. There's four different things that I've added there, and I'll, I'll add a little bit to those. And this, again, will help us to, to know who it is that we're supposed to become so we don't get swept up in everything else that's going on in the world. The first of the four things is this. God's love directs every path and purpose of our lives. God's love directs every path and purpose for our lives. When we lived in Georgia, I fell in love with hiking and, and backcountry hiking and camping. and I fell in love with it. I, I just really enjoyed it. I wanted to always get to the trail. If I had I had times of silence and solitude where I'd go off into the trail by myself or I'd go there with my dad or go there with, with some other family members or friends perhaps. I always loved to go to the trail. And at the beginning of every trail, part of the trail that I used to go to, the Pine Mountain Trail, it, no matter what entry point that you got onto the trail, there was always a trailhead. And all, at the trailhead, it was a placard of saying, this is where you are. And it would tell you, okay, if you want to go, go this way to this side of the trail, this is how long it's going to be to go uh, if you want to go that way. Or if you're going to go this way, this is how far it is to go to the next stop uh, to this way. And it would let you know every trailhead, it had a placard that let you know, hey, this is what to expect. Oh, it would be amazing if we had that in the spiritual life, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be amazing if we just had a placard be like, all right, this is what I'm going through next. I need to read my Bible a little bit more through this season because I know what I'm going through. Wouldn't that be convenient? Praise God that he doesn't work like that. Praise God that he wants to walk with us through this journey, but he doesn't give us a placard of what to expect and exactly what, where all of this is going to, like two steps from now, where that's going to turn out. Instead, he knows, he, he's created in us, those of us who repented of our sins and have turned our lives over to him, then we're saved, and we know our ultimate destination, and yet we have the Word of God as a guidebook along the way, don't we? But we don't know every other little thing that's going to happen, and I believe one of the reasons why is because He wants us to live as loved by Him, to know and go into His Word, His, His love letter to us, and sets the course and direction of our life. He wants us to be in the Word of God as the Spirit of God is in us, so that way that we're governed by his love and not by our wishes and not governed by the things that we can control. The second thing, things that we naturally seek, we seek bridges from our isolated lives through people, possessions, and accomplishments. But all we, we simply need is love and connection with God. But yet there's times where we're just so isolated in our lives. And even before we meet Christ, we're isolated in our lives. And what do we do? We try and patch that up. Although we're isolated, it's like we're on an island all by ourselves. And we try to bridge the gap with all of these other superficial things, whether it's people, possessions, or accomplishments. And yet all of that is to trying to satisfy the need that only God can fill by his love. But oh, church, I wish, I wish we just had some time 
I wish I had time to, to sit and listen to your backstory. I wish I had some time to, to sit down and, and, and for you to be honest about, okay, the, the times where you've tried to bridge the gap just with people or with possessions or with accomplishments. I believe if we're to be honest with these things, we would be so rich in God's love knowing that though we've done these things, and yet the overwhelming truth is those things didn't work. And we would praise God together, and we would acknowledge each other's brokenness, and at the same time, we would praise God for His wholeness. Amen to that. I wish we had time for that, but we don't. But maybe you have time to tell someone else. The third thing is this, the human heart is too needy and restless to be filled by anything else less than God's love. It's too needy. There's too much going on inside. We have, we have a longing for God. Every person has a longing for God that will only be satisfied by Him. It will not be satisfied by, by some sort of pleasure. It's not going to be satisfied by getting married. It's not going to be satisfied by having kids. It's not going to be satisfied for giving your kids everything. It's not going to be satisfied by being a grandparent. It's not going to be satisfied by having a lot of money. It's not going to be satisfied by knowing that, that you've got all this money cooped up for retirement. It's not going to be, those things are not going to satisfy your soul because your soul at the, at the level of your heart and soul is too needy. It's only Jesus can fill the void in your soul. And last, love is the welcome mat that tells us that we're home. It's the welcome mat that tells us, you know what a welcome mat is, right? Right before you get ready to open up the door to a house or a business, you look down and there's a welcome mat. Sometimes it just says, get off my porch, but I'm talking about a welcome mat, you know. Where you feel welcome. Love is the welcome mat that tells us that we're home. And it's assurance that, that we, at last, have found our place. You see, when you come into this place, if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've committed your life to him, you're a kingdom person. And every time we gather together, there should be just overwhelming sense of love amongst ourselves connected to the love of God so that when we just we come into this place, we can just soak it up. That you can just feel the love and presence of God with the people in this room. I believe if, if that were true of us, that there would be so many of our gatherings and there would be such an overflow in these spaces and there'd be such a demand for multiple services and such a demand for, for a lot of other things if we would simply live as loved by God. Because when we live as if we're loved by God, that is the peace that we need and ultimately that's also the peace to help other people. If you have your Bible, our main passage this morning, again, comes from Jeremiah 29. That shouldn't have been a surprise. What may be a surprise is what passage we're going to be in, and we're going to look at verse 7 through 9 this morning. Just following along, the whole series looking at, at these people who were in exile. They'd been told that they were going to be in exile for 70 years. This isn't a you know, just a snap of the fingers and God's going to deliver them. Instead, they were going to be there for 70 years. And God's recommendation for them, because he loved them, is settle in. Marry, have children, 
Have kids who get married and have children. Get comfortable. Live your life. Live a life that is honoring to God, although you're in the middle of a pagan a pagan world, a pagan culture, their, their beliefs are going to be different, but yet they are kingdom people. They're standing on the gap as exiles. They were told that they were going to be leaving their homeland and they were going to be dropped into this area called Babylon. It was a place that was foreign to them. They worshiped differently. They, they believed differently. They lived differently. And God's command for them wasn't, hey, just, just take off. It wasn't go hide. Instead, notice what it says in verse 7. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I'm, I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Verse 8. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and the diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They're prophesying lies to you in my name. I've not sent them, declares the Lord. I'm going to start at the the last part of that passage, and we're going to spend the rest of the time unpacking the, the first part. What struck me, even just a couple days ago, is when God said through Jeremiah to this audience, he says, do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. In other words, there was something so fickle in their hearts that they were like, they wanted these false prophets to give false prophecy to verify their own belief. So they were going to the false prophet, hoping and believing that the false prophet would tell them what they wanted to hear. And God says, Don't believe them, although you're asking them to to basically bring this false prophecy. And the false prophecy was this, that the time wasn't going to be 70 years. That was the prophecy that they they just didn't want to believe that they were essentially going to die in Babylon or have a generation that would follow them would die in Babylon. They didn't want to believe that. So they had mustered up some false prophets to tell them lies, and they were just sitting there, and it was just... They were just saying what their itching ears wanted to hear as they're gobbling up lies. And God says, don't do that. Don't do that. Instead, the instruction that God gives to them about their home, but also even outside of the home. Again, verse 7. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of it, meaning the city that they're going to. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I, am, I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Notice what it does not say. It does not say, and God did not tell them, hey, it's okay, just go in hiding. God didn't say, well, just, you know what, just wait out heaven. God didn't say, well, you know what, here's what you need to do. You need to go inside your house, and you just need to close the door, and you just need to play peekaboo on the door to see when everything else is, when all of the world is good, and then when all the world is good or you think it's good, then you can come out and live your life. God says, no, you're going to be in the middle of a pagan city, but I want you to live the life on fire for me. That's what God says. Oh, church, that's not that different than where we are today. I I hope you see the symbolism here. 
I've intentionally walked us in the whole series. I've been walking alongside, telling the story of Babylon. But yet, if we're honest and we can peek over the fence, this is also our story here today. That we as kingdom people have a part to play in the world that we live in. If we are people who are loved by God and we, we have accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, then our love is satis- like all of the satisfaction we need within our heart is fulfilled in Him. What do we have to lose if that's true? What do we have to lose? What do we have to lose? Seek the peace and prosperity of the city of which I've carried you into exile. You see, peace with others begins with peace with God. If you're not at peace with God, then everything that we do and how we live our life and how we project our faith to the world around us, if we're not at peace with God, then we're going to be expecting others to be filling only the role that God fills in our life. We will be seeking peace with other things instead of a life connected with God. I believe this is one of the reasons that we're in the condition that we're in because people of God aren't relying upon God for, to be the satisfaction for their souls. They're relying on people, uh, their profession or accomplishments or, or a million other things instead of going to God. So they're not at peace with God because they have radically walked away from God. And you can walk away from God and still come to church every Sunday. You can come in and you can play the role and you can come in and and hug necks and shake hands and you can know Bible verses and you can be that person and you can even serve in the church and not know God. Oh, I want you to know God. Because if you know God, then, then everything within your life is going to start to make sense because at the heart of you, you're not hostile with God anymore. That you're at peace with God. And because you're at peace with God, then you can be at peace with other people. You see, but peace doesn't mean that you just ignore injustices either. Just because you may have peace with God, and yet you want to seek the peace, like we read in verse 7, seeking the peace of the city, that doesn't mean hiding from the injustices. That doesn't mean that we just... We live like the world now because we want to maintain peace, so we live like the world. There are times that followers of Jesus Christ will have a righteous anger. Something will well up in them, and they'll say, this cannot be anymore. It has to end. There are people from history who've definitely done this, and who've changed history. There's someone from history that you probably have never even heard of, William Wilberforce was radically and deeply moved within his his own life over in England. He was looking at people who were enslaved. And he said, this should not be. And before before there was any abolition of slavery here, it began in Europe. Because William Wilberforce was stirred of God with a righteous anger, and he saw injustice, and he said, I'm not going to wait on somebody else to fix this. I'm going to under the power of God. And it was people in this country who were inspired what happened in that country, in that part of the world. 
Seeking peace in the city doesn't mean ignoring injustices. It just means we know which ones we need to be involved with. That we're at peace with God. We're loved by God. We're known by that love so we can actually make a difference in the world. We don't have to hide in holy huddles. We don't have to hide at church. We don't have to hide our faith. We can live our, our faith publicly in a way that honors God. But if we're at peace with God, and this also means that we need to be people of the gospel. We need to be teaching and telling people about the gospel. No longer just hiding or no longer just inviting them to come to church instead of actually sharing the gospel. Inviting them to church is awesome, but they need to hear the gospel message from your lips to them. After all, they're your friends, co-workers, and family members. They need to hear you talk about Jesus. They need to hear your testimony of faith. They need to hear what God has done in your life and how his love has so radically transformed you. That's what they need to hear. And also invite them to church. But they need to hear you talk about that. And they need words. They don't just need actions. Don't hide with, I'm just going to try to be a good person and they're going to see that I'm a Christian. Don't hide in that way. Use words. Tell them. Share with them. Explain to the burden that you have for them. Tell them about about what your life was like before Jesus and then tell them now what your life is like connected to Jesus. They need your testimony. Our city needs your testimony. If we're going to have a city that, that, is, that has peace and a, a community and a, a county and state and a country, we need the people of God to step up and share their faith and not to have a faith that, that's closed off at home that only comes out on Sunday mornings at church but yet is on display for the world to see. Because the world lacks the peace that Christians have. We don't have it because we're good people. We have it because we're sinners and we've, we've radically turned away from our sin and turned towards God. And his peace becomes our peace. This will lead us into a few different things. The idea of righteousness, I'll unpack that. There's private righteousness and public righteousness. Public, or excuse me, private righteousness is is am I right with God? Am I walking with God? That's private. That's me. And yet it was never just supposed to be about you and God. There's always a public righteousness. There's what is not right in the world and when what, what is it that God is stirring in my heart so I can lean in to fix maybe there's an injustice going on in the world or something that's unethical at work or something that's unethical within our community or even within our city for us not to sit on our hands and act like, you know, and just pretend as if we're mute but yet using words and using actions within the, the governing of our laws to seek the peace of the city. And, and not just peace within the city where there's not war and battle, but yet peace, bringing the gospel. But there's a private righteousness that leads to public righteousness. Jesus said this in Matthew six thirty three and 34. He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Verse 34, therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. 
Notice what Jesus says. He says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. He didn't say, seek, seek first his church. He didn't. He didn't say, seek first that Bible verse that we want to put on our social media feed that lets everybody know that we're, that we're Christians. He didn't say, seek first serving in the church. He didn't say, seek first giving some money to the church. He didn't say, seek first the pastor because the pastor or this, this influential ministry leader will be the one who will be able to help and direct your life. Instead, what did Jesus say? Somebody read that for me. It's on the screen still. But seek first what? His and his. So this is what we're supposed to seek first. Jesus said over and over and over in the Gospels about talking about the kingdom of God. And he said over and over and over, the kingdom of God is like. You and I should have such a curiosity as, as to what Jesus meant when Jesus said pursuing the kingdom of God because he's not just talking about heaven. He's talking about living a life that is, is so filled with God's love, that we're so at peace with God, and yet we, we are people of right standing with God, and we seek right standing with other people. Private righteousness, public righteousness. In Isaiah 32, verse 17, Old Testament reference, of course, that says the fruit of righteousness will be peace, and the effect of righteousness will be quietness and confidence forever. The fruit, the byproduct of righteousness will be peace. The effect of all of that will be quietness and confidence forever. There's another passage of scripture. I'll just read it to you for the sake of time. It comes from Micah 5, and it's verses 1 through 5. This was, although in the Bible it's after Jeremiah, there's a connection point here, although the writings are about 100 years or so apart. This is what it says in verse 5. Micah was a prophet also. Micah was a prophet to the northern tribes of the, the ten tribes of Israel, the northern side. Jeremiah was a prophet to the southern side, the two, the tribe of Judah and Benjamin, 12 tribes all total, 10 and 2, just like when you drive, 10 and 2. Good way to remember that. Verse 1 says this. Marshal your troops, O city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel. This is talking about Jesus, whose origins are from old and from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor gives birth and the rest of the brothers return to join the Israelites Micah is prophesying about what is going to happen and what did happen with Jeremiah. He continues, verse 4. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be their peace. He's prophesying about two different things. He's talking about the fall that's going to happen in Jeremiah's time, that the fall that you see in Jerusalem, but he's also talking about the fulfillment, that being with Jesus Christ, of saying that he will be their peace. In other words, this ruler, this master, this Lord is going to come, and when he comes, he is one of old, although he's going to look like not, he's not one of old because he comes as one of us, but he will stand, verse 4, he will stand and shepherd his flock because John told us in John 10, 11, and 14 that Jesus is the good shepherd. 
Do you see the, the scriptures coming together? I hope you do. That Jesus is the good shepherd. And yet he, just as Micah said, he will be and he is our peace. Jesus is our peace. We're right with God. We can be right with others. And he is our peace. Peace with God leads kingdom people to deep commitment in areas of justice and unbiased love. You know a couple of of easy ways that we can lean in and we can give unbiased love? Just a couple ways. First way is that you you can serve in one of the best outreaches that we have as a church and you can serve at Trunk or Treat to give unbiased love. And I know many of you ask the question, what good does it do? Let me just answer that question for you. How many other times over the course of a year do we have complete strangers of the gospel message walk on our property and to engage with us personally? How many other times? If you want to be a person of unbiased love, I'm going to speak to you pastorally and directly. We should not have any need for people who are wanting to complete trunks at Trunk or Treat. That list should already have been filled and it should be filled by the end of the day. I'm being very direct with you and I understand. I say this not because I'm mad. I say this because I love you and because I believe the importance of the work. But not just trunks. We should have We should have an overwhelming amount of people who are ready to serve, knowing that the community is going to step on our our soil and that we are going to give them unbiased love through and through on that night. And we should have people willing to do whatever it takes to share that love with these complete strangers as they come onto the property. And some some of these people who may come in, they may be strangers to me, but yeah, they're friends and family and co-workers to you. This is, this is a valuable work that we've done for a lot of years. And I know, and I, I have heard, that some people are kind of tired of it. I'm just, I'm speaking to you pastorally. Trunk or treat is not about you. It's not about you. It's not about how you feel. It's not about you're tired of doing it. It's not about, well, we tried and, and it didn't work last time. It's not about, one, oh, there was a way that we did it and now we're not doing it. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about the love of Jesus Christ. And the way that we're going to do this is by inviting people to come onto our property and we're going to overwhelm them with the love of Jesus. I welcome you to join the rest of the people who are serving in that way. Another way that we do this at the church, and and it amazes me that people don't know about this, is a ministry that we have here at the church, and I realize we host it, we're not in charge of it, but it's a ministry that Susie Trauber leads, Dinner Season with Love. I have people over and over and over, and they say, do we have anything to help the community? Do we have anything to help the community? Do 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 we share meals? I said, absolutely. We host Dinner Season with Love in our gym once a month, every month. She too, there should be an overwhelming amount of people saying, what can I do? How can I serve? How can I help you do what it is that God is leading you to do? You're doing such an important work, and I want to I partner with you in that work. We should be people who are, 
have unbiased love when it comes to children's ministry and student ministry that, that, that we don't have to, you know, we don't have to beg people to serve, but people just step up and say, you know what, I'm a person of the kingdom of God and I want my life to matter. I want to impact the next generation. Can, can you use me? Absolutely. Here's, here's, here's what I can do. I don't know what I can do, but I just want to come in and I want to serve. And I want to serve you and I want to serve these kids and these students. There should be no gap in the church that is not filled. None. Because if we have a private righteousness with God, that means the public righteousness flows out of us. Here at the church and also outside of the church. For instance, we should also be kingdom reconcilers. 2 Corinthians 5, 17-19 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19 says this, that God was reconciled the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and he has committed us the ministry of reconciliation. So where do we start by being people of the ministry of reconciliation? By the way, this is not a select few that, that God is speaking to. He's talking about if you've committed your life to Jesus, you also have the ministry of reconciliation. This isn't a, a select few who are paid to do ministry. This is all of us invited to this party. So, so a couple things to help us is first, tell people about Jesus, to be a person who's... a of the ministry of reconciliation. Tell people about Jesus. How your life is reconciled to him. How your life has been radically changed by him. Second, refuse to have online arguments. Refuse it. Just refuse it. If you're gonna have a discussion, not an argument. If you're gonna have a discussion, do it personally, not publicly. That never comes across in a loving way. I've never, I've never read someone's rant on Facebook in all caps and thought, that person loves me and they love Jesus. Not one time. You know, a couple of those times, it's like, you know, it's just, you know, it gets the, the, the heart pounding, the blood racing, shortness of breath. I'm like, okay, it's go time. That has happened. But never, not one time have I thought, you know what, I just love to sit down and have a conversation with that person. So refuse to have online arguments. Third, listen to others. Don't spend all your time talking. Listen. Listen to what people say. Listen to their stories. When you listen to people, you'll see where they are. And when you know where they are, you can help lead them to where Jesus can save them. And the fourth, offer up hospitality. Offer up hospitality. Ministry of reconciliation is hospitality. Sure, there's an element of this in, in your home, but it's just making time to have a conversation with someone. It's making time to have a cup of coffee with someone. It's making time to have lunch or have dinner with someone. It's just making time to, to say, you know what, I'm gonna take this time. I wanna get to know you a little bit better. I'm gonna listen to you. I wanna share Jesus with you. And you may have to do a lot of listening about something to have a real conversation about someone. That's Jesus, and that's okay. Don't shortcut those ministry 
times, we are kingdom reconcilers. Third, we're kingdom ambassadors. Taken from the same passage of Scripture. You may ask, well, what is a, an ambassador? Maybe the only, you hear ambassador and you think what you've seen on TV. You know, an ambassador, anytime I see this, it's always like in a crime movie and the person who's the ambassador or speaking for the ambassador is always the person who committed the crime. You know what I'm talking about? And then they always say, well, I have diplomatic immunity. I always say that like a Russian for some reason. I'm not really sure why. I just do. But it's like I have diplomatic immunity. In other words, I want to be I, sure I did this thing, but, you, but, but this isn't going to stick because I'm actually an ambassador. I'm a diplomat from somewhere else. So maybe our, our perspective is a little twisted. Here's what it means biblically to be an ambassador. Ambassador is a messenger who's representing God and his kingdom. Representing God and his kingdom. That's what ambassador means here. It's a messenger, that we are messengers. That we're representing God and his kingdom. I know it sounds intimidating. Grace of God is great like that, that even in the midst of, of, of our failures and flaws, that God loves us and he draws us in with his love and he helps us and he leads us to where he wants us to go. We surrender to him over and over and over and then he takes us through this amazing journey called life.